Good evening and welcome to the Learn English Football Podcast with your hosts, Tim and... And Tom. Hello, Tim. How are you? I'm very well, Tom. How are you? I'm doing fine, thanks. A little bit colder than you by the looks of things. I've got a jumper on and you're, shall we say, in a state of undress. I am in a state of undress. I'm in my birthday suit, which is a way of saying how uh, I'm uncovered. Uh, although, Tom, what the video can't see is covered. You'll be happy to know. Uh, so no, no funny business on the Learn English Football podcast, of course. However, talking about exciting moments and uh, is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? Which is what you might be thinking looking at me on the video. Uh, it's the transfer window, Tom. And there's lots of stories going around. There's been some big deals done already. And I'm not sure about you, but this is a part of the footballing year that I absolutely love. It's full of drama, hope, excitement, even heartbreak when some of the things you hope will happen don't happen or some of the things that you're begging not to happen happen. So it's been a big transfer window so far and I get the impression it's only going to get bigger. Uh, there's money to, to burn across the world of football between the Premier League, uh, the Saudi Arabian introduction to the top level of football in terms of finances. So it's been an exciting window first uh, for the for the first few weeks. But Tom, I think there's only one place to start, and that is a transfer, a big transfer, a British record for a British player uh, who's going to be going from your club, captain of West Ham, Declan Rice, is 95% done to Arsenal. Uh, for 105 million plus, uh, sorry, 100 million plus 5 million in add-ons, performance-related add-ons. I say it's 95% done because he hasn't been revealed. Uh, he hasn't been announced by either club, but all the talk is that it is done and it's been done for about a week now. There was a, uh, I think this is one of those deals that's actually been more or less done for a couple of months, all the sounds coming out were that uh, Arteta made contact quite a while ago. But Tom, I've got a quick question to you uh, before we go into uh, if the deal's 100% finished or not, or not, and exactly the structure of the deal, which is what they're arguing about now. The big question that all Arsenal fans are wanting to know the answer to is what's his best position? Is he a number six who plays in the Busquets, Rodri, Thomas Party role? Or is he a bit more um, of a, is he less disciplined in his positioning? And is he better alongside a player like that in a more of a number eight role in a double pivot? Um, I know what answer I want you to give me, Tom, but I'm not going to uh, cloud your, your, your potential options by telling you what that is. So, Tom, give it to me straight. What's Declan Rice's best position? You're in luck, Tim. I, I believe that he can play both the number six and the number eight position. The reason is he broke into the West Ham team as a central defender uh, before establishing himself as the holding midfielder for the club. Uh, and as he has continued to play for us, playing consistently every season, winning player of the year consistently the last few seasons, uh, he has shown that his game is developing more and more. So if you look at his statistics, you may think, oh, he's not getting many goals. He's not getting many assists. But you have to consider that he has been playing David Moyes football, which is a little more uh, defensive. That's the, the polite way I'm putting it, not the way some of the West Ham fans put it. And uh, as a result, he's not been 
in the goals or creating chances. But he has shown that capability, particularly when he's been playing in Europe in the Conference League, where he feels he's got a bit more license to push forward. He can drive really hard, run end-to-end, box-to-box with the ball. Uh, His shot is coming on. I think you will find that you can use him in both positions, but I expect Arteta will rely on him more as a number six defensive midfielder. Okay, so that is actually the answer I wanted to hear. But even in what you've said there, I do still have a couple of questions. One of those questions is, is is when he's played alongside Suchek, as he has often for West Ham, are they playing as a double pivot, both defensively, or is one slightly ahead of the other? And related to that, you've just said that, uh, for example, he's got powerful runs. And in fact, statistically, he does have one of the highest final third entries in the Premier League for a player of his position. So... That makes me actually slightly worried that he doesn't have the discipline to sit at the back, at the bottom of the midfield and dictate the play to be the orchestra- orchestrator, a bit like Rodri is for Manchester City. Or do you think he suffers from Englishness and chases the ball around the pitch like a headless chicken? Is there a way that do you think it's possible for Arteta to teach him the strict discipline that's required to play that six role? I think it's possible. I think you will discover that one of his best attributes is his ability to read the game and his positioning. Declan Rice is able to uh, anticipate the through ball that's when he's defending and just be in the right place at the right time. So I don't foresee any problem between Arteta, uh, you know, giving Declan clear instructions regarding a, a defensive role and the limitations that may be put upon him. Uh, Declan has the the attitude that they say is a manager's dream. He will respond to Arteta's instructions and, and do the best he can. So uh, for that reason, I, d- I don't think you need to fear anything. The, the only thing is, is Arsenal have got a very uh, powerful attacking midfield already. So I think that it's it's unlikely that you'll see Declan Rice pushing too far up when you've got players of the quality, quality of Odegaard to, to open up defences. Yeah, well, that's all good news, Tom. I'm very excited. Um, there's been a lot of talk about the deal. I know Manchester City were sniffing around, which means they were interested. They were smelling them. They were smelling him like a dog would do. Also, Manchester United uh, stuck their head above the parapet uh, and made a slight offer, which means to put yourself in danger's way, to reveal yourself with an offer. But his commitment to staying in London with his young family and his determination to play Champions League meant that after Arsenal are really the only club interested uh, in him. Uh, or the, sorry, the only club he's interested in joining. And it's a bit of a coup for Arsenal to uh, to get a player. Explain, in... What do you mean by a coup to our a listeners? A coup is uh, something like a successful, something you've att- obtained successfully when maybe nobody else thought you would be able to. And for, for Arsenal to step in front of Manchester City, treble winners with the most famous manager in the world, and get their man, um, to the extent that Manchester City he didn't even make a follow-up bid. They made a bid. It was rejected. The sounds coming out from Declan Rice's camp was that he wasn't interested in moving to Manchester and who can blame him. Um, 
And so it's a big signing for Arsenal. And it's not just the only one, Tom. It looks like we're looking at a, a Timber from Ajax and also Kai Havertz from Chelsea. The Havertz deal is done. The Timber deal is very close to being done. And it's another question of even if another club came in for Timber at, uh, at the last minute, I think Arteta has done the groundwork, which means he's done the preparation and Timber is dead set on joining Arsenal. And to be dead set on doing something means you're determined to do it it's the only thing in your head so the big question here is Tom do you think Arsenal have done enough to really challenge for the Premier League we were six points away last season my suspicion is that we haven't if we sell uh, our young striker Balogun who's had a good season in France and we're still relying on Gabriel Jesus and Eddie Nketiah I think at the the end of the season will still come a bit short uh, what do you think Tom do you think these changes could convert Arsenal into a title winning side I'm very curious about these tra- changes uh, Kai Havertz, like you may remember on the last podcast, I wasn't convinced by him during his time at Chelsea. Clearly a talented player, but I wasn't clear on his position. Maybe Arsenal and Mikel Arteta will be able to use him better, perhaps in more of an, an, a midfield role than an attacking role. Uh, Justin, is it Justin Timber? I'm thinking of Justin Duran, Timber. Duran Timber. Timber. Yes, Duran Timber. I've seen him play for the Netherlands and it's not easy to get into the Netherlands side as a defender. So I recognise that he must have a lot of quality. I could see he has a bit of bite as well, which I like to see. When I say bite, I mean he's a defender who likes to make a tackle. He's not afraid to express his aggressive side during games. But again, I haven't seen enough of him to be convinced that he's what Arsenal needs. So if I'm looking at these signings, I'm saying Declan Rice is the only one that gives you, I believe, the the necessary experience for a long campaign in possibly two major competitions, being the Premier League and the Champions League. I say that even though Declan Rice is only 24 years old, he's got a good, solid five or six seasons with West Ham under his belt. Uh, The other two, we'll wait and see. Havertz, at least, he knows the Premiership. But I think Arsenal might do better breaking away from what Arteta has been doing, which is be, has, he's been building a young squad. Uh, and these young players have enormous potential. Uh, it, it means that the, their, their valuation, you know, if you were to sell them as well, is going to be very high. You can make a lot of money from reselling them. But sometimes for the end of a campaign, you need a little bit of an exp- experience. And I'm not sure if I've seen enough within this Arsenal squad, enough players who... Uh, who are maybe on the other side of 25 or the other side of 30 who can provide that necessary experience for them to win something. Yeah, well, I think this is a big factor in, uh, I think you're right, it's a big factor in, in Arteta's thinking. Although he's buying young players, he's buying the captain of West Ham, he's buying Havertz, who, who maybe he's not a leader, but he's done it at every level. He's a German international. Of course, he scored the winner in the Champions League final for Chelsea against Manchester City. Um, I think we're all hoping for the Kai Havertz from Leipzig, not the Kai Havertz from Chelsea in the last season. But let's not forget, he's been playing out of position for the last season as a false nine. He never played as a nine at Leipzig. So I've got I've got a lot of faith in him. Uh, A lot of good managers have have rated Kai Havertz and and 
until uh, until now, uh, Arteta's always made good signings so far, so I think uh, the signs are good. And Timber, I, I agree, he's got a lot of bite, but he's like a new breed of centre back. He's only six foot or five foot eleven, which to uh, non English people is about one hundred and eighty centimeters. So he's un unusually short for. A- centre-back however that that happened last season with Martinez from Ajax to Manchester United and Martinez had a great season so I think it's time to be positive moving on to West Ham Tom you're going to have a lot of money in the pocket uh, especially since West Ham have insisted on the vast majority of the payment coming in the first two years in three installments not spread over five years like Arsenal wanted so how do you think West Ham are going to spend this money and who most importantly are you going to replace uh, Declan Rice with I think West Ham fans are getting a little bit nervous Tim a little bit worried We're seeing a lot of the clubs around us make big moves in the transfer market and secure new signings. Uh, We know that West Ham have not always been strong in the transfer market. We've not always had the first chip, sorry, the first choice or the first pick of players. We've often been fourth or fifth on their list of clubs they want to join. Uh, We sense it will probably be the same again this year. I'm hearing rumours that you know, in t- to replace Declan Rice, I've heard the name Calvin Phillips from Manchester City come up or Paulinha from Fulham. Uh, both will be quite expensive for us. Neither of them, I think, are up to the quality of Rice. Uh, they, I hear Fulham wants £65 million for Paulinha, which I don't think West Ham will pay. Phillips is, is a bit more streaky. By streaky, I mean... He has a good spells, like when he played for England in the Euros a year and a half ago. And then he can have other spells where he's overweight and on the bench or, you know, just hardly featuring or injured for long periods. So I don't know what to expect, but I would take Phillips. You know what, Tim? I would take Harry Maguire at this point. <laughs> and I say that seriously, deadly seriously. Uh, I know we've joked about Harry Maguire, but... I'm now accepting that David Moyes is in charge. We've got Moyes ball again. And I know exactly the kind of player Moyes wants. He wants strong, defensively minded players uh, who are dangerous at set pieces. Set pieces meaning corners and free kicks. And Harry Harry Maguire ticks that box. He's got the experience. He won't take chances at the back. Uh, He doesn't have the skill, the technical ability to do that. Uh, and he can also be a threat in attack. So Harry Maguire would be lovely. I've also heard that Harvey Barnes is on the list. So maybe Harvey Barnes could be a possibility for us. Uh, that would be great yeah. if we could get him. Yeah, I mean, uh, some big names there. I've also seen some other names linked. I've seen, uh, I think you mentioned Paulinha, Alvarez, Kelvin Phillips, James Ward-Prowse, of course, a slightly different role, but he's a solid central midfielder with a lot of Premier League experience. Great from the set piece. Uh, Of course, he should be going slightly under the market value with Southampton being relegated. Also, Matteo Guendouzi, who, of course, Arsenal fans will remember. He's now at Marseille and playing very well on on the fringes of the French. French international side, which means to be on the fringes means to be just on the outside, but knocking on the door. So it's an exciting time for West Ham. But you mentioned there that Fulham are asking for 60 million for Paulinha. Well, that, Tom, is what happens when you demand 105 million uh, for Declan Rice. I mean, whatever 
West Ham demanded from Arsenal, there was always going to be a little taxation, a little markup on any buys they make this summer. That's how football works. I mean, when everyone knows you've got the money and you're desperate to make a change, then uh, you can't really blame the selling clubs for trying to make as much money as possible, just like West Ham have done with Arsenal. Um, so, Tom, let's move on. Uh, a couple of another club which has made some interesting signings in the Premier League is, of course, Liverpool. Um, the most unpronounceable name in modern football. I'm going to give it a go. Soboslai, uh, the Hungarian Sorry, you, youth you prospect. Right. Yes. Uh, the Hungarian youth prospect, impossible to pronounce. Very good on Football Manager. I discovered about five seasons ago. Um, he he he's been a really young prospect from the second he was going through at uh, was it uh, Salzburg. Uh, and he got the move to Dortmund. His first season, his first season and a half at Dortmund, he was very strong. I um, think, uh, the only he thing at is, Dortmund I... or was he at Leipzig? Oh, sorry, Leipzig. Sorry, yeah. yeah, he was very good at first, but he has gone off the boil a little, little bit in the last season. To go off the boil means to lose your form slightly. Um, but I think he's got all the potential. He's scored in the Champions League. He's scored at national level. He's been a starter in the Champions League since he was eighteen years old. Uh, so I think it's a good signing. And of course, it feels like a long time ago now, but Alexis McAllister from Brighton, the World Cup winner and a big money move to Liverpool. And I know Liverpool fans were saying they needed to to renovate the, the midfield, to refresh the midfield, to get some young, fresh legs. And to be honest, these two signings look exactly what Liverpool fans have been crying out for. They're quality players. They've got them. OK, they're expensive, but compared to some of the transfer fees being played, uh, being paid nowadays, that I would consider them reasonable prices. Uh, so the big question here, Tom, is do you think these two signings can take Liverpool back to being uh, Premier League contenders, Champions League finalists? Or do you still think Liverpool are a little bit short, maybe in defence, maybe at right back uh, and maybe up front? Because although Gakpo looked like a good player, he didn't score a load of goals. And Darwin Nunez as well was injured, was suspended a lot. They didn't have the kind of guaranteed goals that a front three of Firmino, Mane and Salah uh, had provided them for all those years. Do you think Liverpool are going to be able to come back, Tom? I think these two Liverpool signings are just the ticket. By just the ticket, I mean they're exactly what Liverpool need. I think they will come back. I think that these two signings... Uh, you are right, they are expensive, although arguably getting McAllister for 42 million euros, you could argue that's a bargain. I would say that after watching his contribution in the World Cup and watching his contribution at Brighton, again, we've got a player who takes the free kicks, takes the penalties, box-to-box -box midfielder. He's like the engine that is just pushing that team forward. So, uh, And I've watched a little bit of... Uh, Soboslai's highlights. Uh, so obviously I don't have the same insight as someone who watches the Bundesliga regularly, but what I see is that there's an extremely gifted player here. He's 22 years old. I think that that's why his uh, his valuation is, is even higher at 70 million euros. But uh, what I noticed about him is uh, a weapon of a right foot, taking the corners, taking the free kicks, uh, he, he hits it a little bit like a golf club uh, sometimes when you make contact on the ball. Uh, he's able to get the right kind of trajectory that the ball will just fly. It will shoot off his boot, uh, leading to many assists and goals. In fact, he, he is really just 
an assist maker. He's an assist machine for his team. So, uh, I, and I see as well in open play that he's got that characteristic. He can get his head up and place a pass when he's running fast with the ball. He knows where his teammate is and he can get the right weighting, the right uh, placement on his delivery. So I can see Liverpool scoring lots and lots of goals. Players like Salah and uh, Darwin Nunez, uh, all, all the Liverpool attackers, Jota, the, the left winger from Colombia, Diaz, they are all going to benefit from having uh, Sobos lie with them and, of course, McAllister. So, yes, Tim, if I was a Liverpool fan, I'm thinking we are back in business, boys. This season, we're going to be challenging for the league. We're going to have another run in the Champions League. I think uh, these two have, if they can avoid injuries, these two have freshened up their side enough to turn them into a world-class team again. Yeah, well, um, we'll see. It's going to be an exciting year next year in the Premier League if Liverpool do perform at the, uh, at the levels we've been uh, used to seeing. Um, staying in the Premier League, Tom, a club which is maybe uh, famous for doing lots of business and spending a lot of money, which hasn't spent any money so far, is, of course, Manchester United. Um, two things surrounding Manchester United. One, of course, is uh, David De Gea. He's, uh, he's been allowed to run his contract down. He wants to stay at the club on a similar contract, on a similar wage to the, uh, to what he's been earning uh, for the last uh, few years in his in his pr- current contract, uh, which is, of course, the highest paid goalkeeper in the, in the Premier League. Um, and United want to keep him, but as a substitute goalkeeper. So there's a bit of an impasse when it comes to negotiations, which means an impasse is when the negotiations aren't going anywhere. And in fact, he's become a free, agent um and i've seen a lot of manchester united fans online saying this is really disrespectful for a player who's been there for 12 seasons they've let him almost drift out the back door they haven't offered him a contract extension they haven't offered him a a testimonial game which is of course customary to organize a friendly match in the summer for a player who's been at a club for more than 10 years um do you think this is bad kind of uh, management from Manchester United? Do you think this is a symptom of them being just about to be bought and the current owners not wanting to put in a penny more than they have to? Um, Or is this Man United forcing him out to maybe Eric Tan Hag, forcing him out to put pressure on the owners to buy him the goalkeeper, which he really wants, which of course is a goalkeeper who can play with his feet. Um, So Tom, what do you think this about this situation with De Gea? Do you think it's, it's bad that it's, do you think it's rude? Do you think it's disrespectful that they've allowed him to run out of contract? Or do you think that, £300,000 a week that they've been paying him for the last five years um, can, can compensate him and keep him keep him uh, entertained while he's out of contract. Yes, I, I would not comment on it being bad, rude or disrespectful at this stage. I think I would need to be privy to the meaning, having access to uh, the, a lot of more information than I do. It's very surprising, though, because you look at the Manchester United squad and you see who are the other goalkeepers now? Dean Henderson, Tom Heaton. They had Dean Henderson was out on loan last season, yeah. That's right. But you would probably keep De Gea even into his 30s as, as first choice over these. So I could. it only makes sense if Manchester United have another goalkeeper ready to replace uh, De Gea. But uh, you would expect them to sign that goalkeeper already. So... It's a little confusing. I'm not entirely sure the reasoning behind it, but 
you know, business is business. And Man United have rewarded De Gea very, very well for his career uh, at the club. So uh, I think that if I was De Gea, uh, you know, no hard feelings. I'd be ready to go back to Spain if, if Manchester United wanted me to go. But uh, that's me. I don't know if De Gea has a stronger attachment with the club because you are right. He has been there over a decade now. Yeah, I, my belief is that he wants to stay in uh, Manchester, but uh, he's. He, and I, I've even heard that he's willing to accept a significantly lower wage. But I just think uh, Eric Tan Hag has seen enough of him. Although he's, I mean, he won the Golden Gloves. He got the most clean sheets last season in the Premier League. But his his work with the ball at his feet, his passing, his his ball control is poor compared to a lot of more uh, modern younger goalkeepers and I think that's what Eric Tan Hag is uh, is complaining about staying with Manchester United uh, a surprising signing really Mason Mount uh, Mason Mount of course came through the Chelsea youth system he's an English Chelsea boy um, but he's out of contract in um, in 12 months time he's on a big wages at Chelsea Chelsea of course have got financial fair play considered to a factor into their finances um, and they've allowed him as one of the big earners um, to be one of the people who has left the club and to be honest I was surprised I think he's been one of their more consistent performers even during this bad run of form they've had this season I'm not his biggest fan because I think there are more technical players who can play in his position more disciplined players but I'm actually surprised Manchester United have signed him because when I think of the Manchester United side I think they need another a decent centre-back. I think they need a decent right-back. I think they need a decent striker. But I've just written down their three centre midfielders here. Bruno Fernandes, Christian Eriksen and Casemiro. And I don't see where this Mason Mount is going to get anywhere near this Manchester United side. Can you see Mason Mount starting in number 10 position before Bruno Fernandes? Or can you see Mason Mount being disciplined and tactically and defensively aware enough to play in a deeper position that Ericsson has done so well playing uh, this season? Or do you think it's um, a square peg for a round hole, which means, uh, is a way of saying in English, uh, uh, the wrong solution problem because it doesn't fit. So, Tom, what's your opinion of this Mason Mount deal? Well, first of all, regarding the player, uh, a bit like you, I, I recognise him as a very good player, a player who gets very good uh, ratings and reviews from people who watch him a lot, but a player who's not 100% convinced me that uh, you, know, you, you can build a team around him. Uh, for England, I remember he came on against France and made a very important contribution to earn us the penalty that Harry Kane mixed, missed. Sorry, So... That shows me that he, here is a player who can come on, make an impact off the bench and make a difference. Uh, but I wouldn't expect him to start in midfield over the three world-class players that you mentioned. However, if Manchester United are also in the Europa League, I could see him having a much more of an active role playing his games on Thursday nights. Uh, helping that team get to the latter stages of the Europa League. But of course, they're not in the Champions League. And oh. I don't imagine Mason Mount, I mean, even if they were in the Europa League, I don't imagine Mason Mount's thinking, I'm going to go to United and play Thursday night football in Europa. Um, I just think it's a strange signing. Uh, and it's a lot of money for someone who I think is going to end up on the substitutes bench for large parts of the season. 
Um, I think it's a strange one, personally, partly because I, I don't I never like to see a homegrown talent leave a club and especially when they're going to a rival. Um, I, I haven't got a much sympathy for Chelsea, but I would like to see their homegrown talents stay there. So slightly disappointing. Um, Tom, let's move on then. And uh, we've got a few things to talk about. We're going to leave the Premier League now. And the question is, how far would you like to travel, Tom? Would you like a short-haul European flight or would you prefer a long-haul international flight? You be the, you, you take your plane and I'll, I'll tell you where you're going. Let's go long-haul. Long-haul flight. Please. Let's go long-haul. The man wants to get a bad neck sitting in economy class for over eight hours. Fantastic. So let's go to Saudi Arabia, Tom. Uh, the private investment fund has, uh, I think, invested in, is it eight clubs in the Saudi league? Uh, no, sorry. They've invested directly in three clubs, but under, indirectly, they've, they've basically, they're the financial backing behind eight clubs in the Saudi division. And some big, big, big names have gone there this summer. Um, I mean, no, no bigger than, of course, than Karim Benzema. But he wasn't the first. Of course, Cristiano Ronaldo was the first in the January transfer window. Uh, everyone thought it was a strange move when he went there. But with every big name player who goes there, the Ronaldo moves look, looks less and less strange. And it looks like he might have been ahead of the curve, which means to be ahead of the curve is a way of saying to anticipate what's going to happen. So therefore, to put yourself in a good situation. Other big names, of course, we've had Benzema. Uh, we've had uh, Kula Bali from Chelsea. We've had N'Golo Kante. Uh, we've had Ruben Neves from Wolves to Al Hilal. Um, so, I mean, there's some big name players there. I, I think the the outlier, the one who's different to the rest, is of course Ruben Neves, because the rest of the players are in the autumn of their career, which means they're coming to the end of their career. So maybe it's less surprising for them to get a big payday. And for any of these people who are out there criticizing people going to Saudi Arabia, I just want to read you a quote from Kula Bali. And I start quoting now. I will be able to help my whole family to live well, from my parents to my cousins, and above all, to support the social activities uh, that my association do in Senegal. We started... Um, with the conversation of a pediatric clinic in the village of my parents. So for all those people who are outside, who are out there criticizing um, these people for going to Saudi Arabia, I think we should think about the impact that this money can have on them and their families. One thing is what the footballers in Britain have, and they probably make everyone around them rich and they can probably make even one or two generations further down rich but these Saudi Arabian contracts are so big that it's taking it to another level I mean you can literally you could go back to your village in a poor country and make massive changes to the quality of lives of of, of the people living there um, and also a lot of the people who are criticizing them for example I saw an article in The Athletic, the sports journalist newspaper, criticizing people moving to Saudi Arabia. But then, of course, The Athletic is owned by 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 oil investors, by two massive oil investors. So I think it's a bit like the pot calling the kettle black. Uh, the Athletic is willing to push global warming, which uh, lots of people say is the biggest threat to humanity, but they're unwilling to say that the, uh, they're unwilling to support the Saudis. So I think there's a bit of hypocrisy. Tom, do you think like me? 
that do you think there's a lot of hypocrisy surrounding this criticism of Saudi Arabia or are you one of the critics? Uh, I must admit before hearing you, Tim, I was not aware of the criticism of Saudi Arabia. Uh, my own perspective is that it, it, this move to expand the Saudi Arabian Football League is part of uh, MBS, the, the current uh, head man at uh, Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Sultan, I believe his name is. Bin Salman. Bin Salman, thank you. It's part of his mission to open up Saudi Arabia to the world, to make it much more of a, an attractive destination, not only for tourists, but also for footballers to come and draw more attention on Saudi Arabia in the same way we've seen happen in the United Arab Emirates and Qatar. And it makes sense. I can see why he's doing it. Do I think it will be successful in the long run? No. At this stage, I think it's more likely to be a bit like in the 1970s when the New York Cosmos signed Pele and George Best and other players came and joined that league at the end of the career. Uh, in the end, that league folded. It has come back now as something stronger, but it takes time. It takes history and hard work to build up a league and maintain it. Uh, at some point, the money often runs out. Uh, so I expect to see some growth in the Saudi, Saudi Arabian League. It's clear when you talk about the comment about Koulibaly. Yes, absolutely. Being Senegalese as well. We have to consider what uh, Sadio Mane has done, how many people in his community he has helped. I can see why a player like Koulibaly would see the opportunity, that a great opportunity to do the same. And he's not the only one. You've mentioned a few players. You didn't mention Eduard Mendy, who has come to Al-Ali in Saudi Arabia. Uh, and one who, that caught my eye, Brosovic, the Inter Milan centre-back, only 30 years old. Those ones are a real surprise because here are players, uh, Ruben Neves, Brosovic, centre midfielders, the top of their game, world class. Uh, Ruben Neves is a mystery because he's only 26. He was the captain of Wolves. He could have gone on to join. Linked with the, Barcelona. He, he linked with, with, I'm sure, the top eight or 10 clubs in, in European football. Yet he's chosen Saudi Arabia. So that's a mystery. I've got a little me. conspiracy theory here for you, Tom, if you want one. Yeah, go on then. I've heard on the grapevine a rumor, his way of saying a rumor on the grapevine, that uh, this might be around a way around financial fair play for Newcastle. That uh, Saudi Arabia put a lot of money into Ruben Neves, and then six months later, he's unhappy in Saudi Arabia, and they loan him to Newcastle, for example, uh, as a way to get him uh, to stop him being a problem in Saudi Arabia. But of course, the problem would be uh, not a real problem. It's a way to get around financial fair play. Um, I don't know if that is true or not. It's totally a rumor. It would be interesting to see. I, I, I think, imagine the other Premier League clubs would. Uh, would kick up a stink, which means to complain very vocally. But um, it's possible. It's possible. Um, of course, the criticism comes from the fact that Saudi Arabia has got a bad human rights record. Today, they've condemned six people to death. These six people committed crimes while they were minors, which means they were below the age of 18. So there is, of course, valid criticism of Saudi Arabia. I just personally don't think it's football's job to be the moral police of the world when our economy is a totally integrated with these countries. Um, and I think probably, Tom, you think something quite similar, right? Yeah, with, regarding criticism of Saudi Arabia for human rights, this is where I would call 
hypocrisy because uh, generally in the West, across the Western media, we love to, uh, yes, uh, you know, point the finger at this one. Uh, but I think these countries would quite rightfully point the finger back at us and say, what about your abuses of human rights? And I'm sure they could find plenty of relevant examples to point the finger back at us. So I'm not saying two wrongs make a right. I'm just saying that I don't see it as a valid criticism. Yeah. And just on a footballing level, I mean, over the past few years, we've seen a situation where Premier League clubs almost can't sell players because the wages that the Premier League is willing to offer just cannot be matched by any other clubs uh, across Europe. So finally, uh, it looks like the Premier League has got their opportunity to sell players. It's come at the perfect time for a club like Chelsea, who made some incredible investment in the January transfer window and are now trying to get rid of some of the dead wood. Of course, dead wood is a things that you don't need or want anymore, things that are not useful to you. Uh, and I, for example, uh, Kula Bali, uh, Eduardo Mendy, you've just mentioned as well. Ruben um, Loftus-Cheek has gone to Yes, Loftus-Cheek. I mean, if there is a definition of Deadwood in the, with a picture, in a picture dictionary, I mean, Loftus-Cheek has got to be the image. Um, let's move on um, and let's go back to the European game. And let's talk about uh, some big moves. Uh, Tonali. Tonali from AC Milan to Newcastle. Uh, I think over 50, 60 million pounds. Uh, a real surprise because he's the midfield dynamo for Milan. I I've heard him described as halfway between a, a, a Gattuso and a Pirlo. He can do the defensive work, but on the ball, he's more than capable of dictating play and, and linking uh, the attack with the, def the defense with the attack and playing passes between the lines. So I'm definitely excited to see him in the Premier League. Uh, Tom, what do you reckon about the Lionel Messi to Inter Miami move? Was that something you were expecting? Were you expecting him to go back to Barcelona? Were you expecting him to maybe to go back to Argentina with Newell's old boys, his hometown club? Uh, or maybe you're expecting him to turn out for one of these Saudi Arabian teams on big, big, big salaries although saying that i i have heard he's been offered shares in apple uh, as a as a payment uh, for his time at milan so i don't think he's going to be poorly paid uh, tom what do you make of the move well before i answer that about messi a quick word on tonali because uh, from what i've seen and what i've read newcastle have got themselves a great signing here he seems to have the right attitude they say that he's a, a great guy in training works really hard and Newcastle fans also seem to be very excited that they've got a proper number six, which will liberate Bruno Gimaraes, allowing him to push forward and have more of an attacking role. Uh, I think Newcastle fans see him as more of a playmaker, more of a number eight. So they're looking forward to uh, recreating a, a, a classic partnership that, uh, you know, a Gattuso Pirlo partnership. They're thinking Tonali and Gimaraes will will lead them to glory. Moving on to Lionel Messi, I'm not surprised, to be honest. Uh, I think Lionel Messi is quite a simple guy. He wants to be in a healthy environment where he can concentrate on football. Yes, he's won every trophy in the book now, but he will still be ambitious enough, determined enough to finish out his career with more trophies. Uh, he did talk about returning to Barcelona, but he also you could see that there were implications not only for teammates potentially taking a, a wage cut to accommodate him and his high wages, but he's also got in the back of his mind troubles he's had with 
the financial side of things in Barcelona? Will the tax man come after him again there? I think David Beckham flew in from Miami and uh, had a very productive meeting with Messi when he was at Paris Saint-Germain a couple of months ago. And uh, he managed to persuade him and incentivize him. And uh, let's be honest, there are so many South Americans already living down in Florida, in Miami. Messi's probably got a lot of family and friends who are in that part of the world anyway. So I can see how it made sense for him. Yeah, I think so too. I think, uh, I mean, he said it, he's won everything in football. He doesn't need to do anything else in the European game. He doesn't need to prove anything to anybody. Uh, I think anybody who's a real football lover like us would say he's the best player we've ever seen. Um, and I think he's, he's Sorry, earned the right to go. About, you're forgetting about Julian Dix. Yes, I am. <laughs> totally forgetting about him. Um, I think he's done everything and earned the right to go where he wants to live a nice family life. I imagine Saudi Arabia, he wouldn't live the same style of life as he is going to have in Miami with a strong Spanish uh, speaking uh, population in Miami. I think he's going to fit right in and get back to enjoying life because he hadn't hasn't looked happy on the pitch at Paris Saint-Germain. And I think Messi deserves to be happy on the pitch. Um Another big player who doesn't look like he's going to be moving anywhere is Kylian Mbappe. Uh, of course, he signed. He was a free. He was a free uh, transfer possibility last summer. He could have gone to Real Madrid for free last summer. He chose to sign a two-year extension at Paris Saint-Germain with an option of a third year for huge money. And then in around October, November, there were already noises coming out that he wasn't happy and he wanted that Real Madrid move. This summer, it's turned out that he still wants the Real Madrid move. Real Madrid would be willing to pay a certain amount of money for him. Not a huge, huge, huge amount of money, because let's face it, he has only got a year left on his contract. But the thing which seems to me to be blocking the move is his insistence that if he moves, he still wants to be paid all the money that he would have been paid in his second year at Paris Saint-Germain. In the Spanish press, they're saying that Kylian Mbappe is a prisoner of money. And to be honest, I think he's doing a fantastic job of shooting himself in the foot. He's 24, 25 years old now. I don't think he's had a club career so far because whatever he does in in, in the French League doesn't really count on the top stage of, internet, of, of football. He's not doing it in the Champions League because Paris Saint-Germain are always underperforming on that uh, on that stage um and he's insisting on all this money now tom i can't understand it i know there's huge amounts of money we're talking about here but as far as i can tell from the situation Kylian mbappe is already an incredibly rich man and if he went to real madrid he wouldn't be poorly paid and i know on this same episode i've said to you look you know i can understand players going to saudi arabia and getting huge amounts of money and i can but at the same time we need to talk about sporting respect sporting integrity and sporting ambition and if Kylian Mbappe wants to be considered one of the best players in the world or even the best player in the world he's not going to do that at Paris Saint-Germain he needs to get out of Paris he needs to go to La Liga Real Madrid Barcelona or he needs to come to any of the top five clubs in the Premier League excluding Tottenham of course so maybe you could include Newcastle for six clubs um so do you think this insistence Tom 
that he gets paid this second year of a salary from Paris Saint-Germain, even though he's not going to play that second year. Do you think that he's painting himself into a corner? Do you think that he's creating a difficult situation for himself that maybe later in life when he's retired and he looks back and he thinks wasted opportunities? What do you think about this situation, Tom? I tend to agree with your final summary that later in life, he may look back on this and think, maybe I allowed myself to be too influenced by people around me, by agents, by people who are incentivized with well, me. Well, you say agents, but his mother is his agent. His, his mother's mother his agent. So, well, maybe but, he will be saying, I shouldn't have listened to mum quite so much as I did, because generally it's it's accepted wisdom in, in football management that... Uh, when you have a young, exciting player, you really need that player to settle down. You, you ideally want that player to be married, <laughs> settle down, start a family. Uh, by settle down, I mean live the domestic life so you can purely focus on your football to get the best out of the player. And uh, with all these noises about Mbappe being unsettled, it's happening now, but We've had this conversation one or two years ago, and it's not the first time it's happened at Paris Saint-Germain. I think all of this can create noise. It can create disruption. Uh, that is unfavorable. That It's not the ideal conditions for the player, nor his teammates, nor the coach to be working in. So uh, we can say it's the influences around Mbappe, but Mbappe clearly is allowing himself to be influenced by other forces and he's got a little it, uh, this is my own two pence opinion so it might not be true at all but he seems to have a little bit of the grass is always greener mentality and you're right he can look to the Spanish league or the English league and think oh I want to be at one of those clubs or he can accept that he's at the best club in France and he can stay with them on their trajectory because I think it is only a matter of time before France do finally win or the Paris Saint-Germain do finally win the, Euro the Europa Champions League. Well, I, I can't see them winning the Champions League, especially with the loss of Messi, the potential loss of Mbappe, changes in management again. Um, so I think he needs to get out. I really do think he needs to get out. I mean, I'm just looking, just looked now. He's 24 years old. Haaland is 22. Uh, a year ago, there was no talk about Haaland for Ballon d'Or. It was all uh, Mbappe is going to be the next Messi and Ronaldo. But nowadays, people are talking about Haaland because he's getting, he's winning Champions Leagues. He's winning Premier Leagues. He's playing at the top level week in and week out, uh, which means every week. Um, so so I think he's he's in danger of being overtaken by a new generation of players but the, who, are, who are the same age as him, who previously he was much ahead of. They're catching up with him. I mean, I can think of other players, you know, Vinicius, who's had a better domestic season, Mbappe or Vinicius. As far as I'm concerned, Mbappe hasn't scored a goal because nobody watches League Un. So, I mean... And you could even argue players like Bukayo Saka uh, are performing at a higher level on a week-in, week-out basis. So I really would say to you, Kylian Mbappe, get out of the French League and start performing 
on a weekly basis. I urge you to, because I want you to develop into the player that I think you can be. Um, and I think also it's too easy, the French League, for him. He needs to be uh, a suffering. Uh, he needs to have a defender who does cause him problems to make him find solutions to those problems. I worry that he's going to arri arrive in the Premier League or, or La Liga at 26 years old, think he's a great player and realise that it's a bit too late to learn some of the things he could have learned when he was 21, 22, 23. I'm worried, Tom. I would hate for that talent to be wasted. Um, let's move on. Uh, our loyal Spanish listeners who do tune in on a weekly basis will be happy to know we're moving on to talk about two signings or one signing and one potential signing uh, related to the Spanish league. So let's talk about the one that's happened so far. Uh, Jose Lu has gone from Espanol to Real Madrid. I believe... He's got uh, Real Madrid connections. I think this is a buyback. I think they had first refusal. Um, a lot of uh, our British listeners will, of course, remember Jose Lu for his time at, is it Stoke and Newcastle? That's correct. Um, there, there weren't great performances uh, in the red and white of Stoke or the black and white of Newcastle. However, he he went back to Spain. He's learned his game. Um and at Espanyol this season, he's had a good season it's to such an extent that he's actually broken into the Spanish national side. He's had uh, he's had some good performances. He scored a couple of goals in the uh, in the Europa, uh, sorry, UEFA Nations League, which, of course, Spain won. So he has had a good few seasons. But looking at his value on transfer markets, it's only six million pounds. He's a 33 year old striker. If he was going to set the world alight, you would think he would have done it already. Uh, and of course, he is replacing Kylian Mbappe, who has been who's been an, a fantastic, fantastic performer. Uh, I'm just looking now. He scored 16 goals this season in La Liga at a goal every uh, about a goal every two games. So ne nearly nearly 0.5 goals per game, which isn't a bad return for Espanyol, who, of course, were fighting relegation all season. Um but firstly, are you surprised by this move? Do you think Jose Lu can can step up and maintain the level of performance? Or do you think Real Madrid are looking for a stopgap? And a stopgap is uh, something that you use to fill a hole, a temporary solution to allow you to wait for the solution that you really want, which, of course, to Real Madrid would be the player we've just been talking about, Kylian Mbappe. So what do you think this is, Tom? Do you think this is a, a shrewd, experienced signing or do you think this is a stopgap? To answer your first question, I would have been surprised if I hadn't already heard the rumours. But uh, this move to Real Madrid was very much uh, talked about in the Spanish press as on the cards. It seems like it was lined up uh, many months before uh, based on his, his brilliant form for Espanyol and also the Spanish national team. Uh, but I do agree with your second comment that it is a stopgap. He is somewhat of a a placeholder, another expression that means the same thing. At 33 years old, they, he's seen better days already. You know, he's, he's on the wrong side of 30. For a club like Real Madrid, they're thinking, we need someone to play that number nine position. Now we've lost Benzema, but we also need to keep looking for someone younger who can come in and take over, uh, you know, and, and be our, our next finisher not just for one or two years, but for the next five or six years or, or maybe maybe longer. Uh, so 
So I, I can't. I think it's a a convenient deal for both Hossalu and Real Madrid. Uh, but I don't expect to see him starting every week in La Liga, nor the Champions League. Well, if he's not starting, Real Madrid will have to change their shape and play maybe with a false nine or or even with Rodrigo as a nine. But um, it's going to be interesting. Um, and moving on to, I think, our last player on the discussion today is, of course, of course uh, a player we're very familiar with because we've been watching him all season. Uh, El Bilal Torre, um, the... Uh, Ivory Coast-born Mali international, who of course came last season from Reims in Ligue 1 in France to Almeria. Uh, I think he came for about six or seven or eight million euros, uh, and he scored seven goals this season. He's a very young striker. He's got good physique. He puts himself about, which means he 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 pressures the defence. Uh, I think he's a, a, a manager's dream because he's he's the first line of defence when Almeria haven't got the ball but at the same time it's only set, he's only scored seven goals and the rumours are that Everton are interested in him. I've seen rumours online of a of basically a 40 million euro offer. It's a slightly confusing rumour because I've seen a 40 million euro offer as the headline, but then when you read the article, it says five instalments of 4.3 million euros, which of course doesn't add up to the 40 million euro headline. So I imagine the 40 million euro headline takes into account the value of his contract as well. Um, And reading... um, Reading a bit about the uh, reading from the 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 Almeria director of sport El Asi, the right hand man, of course, of Turkey. Uh, he was saying today that they've got three uh, official offers on the table for for Bilal Torre, uh, one from England and two from Italy. Um, I imagine the high level offer would be the English uh, offer, the Everton offer. I know Everton were looking at him last season while he was still at Ream, but he was very last season this season at least he's had a bit of experience um so two questions tom really for you firstly do you think he's good enough to make it in the premier league sorry three questions for you do firstly do you think he's good enough to make it in the premier league secondly are you surprised at the value of the offer and thirdly how much truth do you think there is behind this offer, considering the financial situation that Everton are in, uh, the fact that they're in, they've got real financial problems with financial fair play rules. They've overspent ridiculously over the last five seasons and still been battling relegation. If we think back to last season, they had to sell Richarlison just to, to balance the books. So, yeah, Tom, what do you think about those three questions related to uh, El Bilal Torre? First question, yes, I think he is good enough for the Premier Premier League, although I wouldn't expect him to come straight into a team and be starting every week. Even a team such as Bournemouth, I would think he would be spending Everton. a lot of time. I know Everton wants him, but even a low-level team like a Bournemouth oh, or, uh, or who else has come up? Luton Town. He might not necessarily start every week at the beginning, but that's because he's a very young player and... He's shown he can adapt to French football. He's shown he can adapt to Spanish football. He's shown to me that he's got the physical characteristics to adapt to the English Premier League, but it will take him some time to understand the way we play the game in England. Uh, Regarding the valuation, I think 40 million is ridiculously high. It's such a high offer. It smells a little bit like it might be Almeria, the club themselves, who are putting that offer out there and suggesting that 
you know, other people see his valuation as being that high to help them get a sales price, which is close to it. But we have to consider that last season, Almeria sold their best player, Sauma Sadiq. And I think in the end, he, he, he'd scored a lot of goals for Almeria and he went for about 20 million euros, I think. So the, the idea that Bilal is worth twice as much as Sadiq, I, I, I don't see it at this stage. He's unproven. He was a little bit unlucky because he suffered some injuries, especially in the second half of the season. He came back strong in the final game, scored a goal. But at this stage, I still have to say he's still not fully proven. We want to see a longer season, a full season under his belt. If he played well for Almeria, let's say he scored 10 goals, five assists, we might start to see some valuations getting up towards 20 or 30 million. And what about the final question, Tom? Do you think there's any truth behind this offer? Or do you think Everton are in a financial position to pay that kind of money? Or do you think this is uh, what you refer, maybe you've already referred to it. You think this is maybe Almeria putting the, the offer out there to create a bidding war or to create a false sense of market value? It smells a little bit like uh, there's a false sense of market value being created by the club that want to sell the player, in this case, Almeria. Uh, Everton, I I think Everton are in deep trouble. Uh, they really need to freshen things up. They've got Sean Dyke there now, but they also need to boost their squad to make some big signings. Bilal Toure could be a good addition, but I think if Everton paid more than, uh, I would say, 17 million for him, uh, 17 million pounds, that is, then they are taking a terribly big gamble on a player who who might not deliver, could could easily be a flop for them. Yeah, and just in terms of what kind of player it is, he is, he has got a lot of ability. I mean, I, I think I, he's the high, it's definitely the highest leap I've seen this season. The highest jump in the air was Torres. He's incredibly fast. He's powerful. He's got a good shot. I think he's lacking, he's, he's slightly lacking his link-up play, uh, uh, his ability to hold the ball and wait for support to come. I know in the second half of the season, you mentioned he was injured a lot and uh, as a substitute, Luis Suarez, uh, not the Luis Suarez that maybe many of our listeners will know, um, came in and I think actually improved the side. Uh, okay, he's a lot more experienced, but he was able to link up much better with the other players and, and get the midfield more involved in the attack as well. Um, so I think it would be a big risk for a player who's so raw. I don't think he's not good enough, but I definitely haven't seen enough to say that he's 20 million, 25 million, 30 million good enough. So I think it is a big risk. But going back, I mean, you mentioned Umar Sadiq. We can go back a bit further and talk about Darwin Nunez, of course, came through Almeria. Almeria has the reputation of finding good young strikers, uh, having a good couple of seasons with them and selling them on for a big profit. So maybe that's the model they found. Maybe they've got another striker, another young youth prospect lined up that they could spend some of their um, uh, profits on. Who knows? Tom, um, what a what a feast of transfers! You can see why I said to you at the beginning of the trans uh, the beginning of the episode that I love the transfer window, full of drama, full of hope, full of heartbreak, full of excitement. Um, Tom, can you remember a signing which has changed has changed how you feel about your club or given you a particular amount of hope? Uh, for me, I'll always remember. Um, Dennis Bergkamp. I was probably only about 10 or 11 when it happened, but he really 
made me feel that that feeling of hope and, and excitement and drama uh, of adding an element of culture and quality that Arsenal couldn't call on at the time. I'd like to say uh, that at West Ham, you probably felt something similar when uh, Carlos Tevez and Javier Mascherano came over in a joint deal from Argentina. Um, I, I think that was that little bit of stardust added to the West Ham side. But Tom, uh, are there any other players that you think have really got your heart going like that? Uh, you are right, Tim. Those two gave us a lot of hope when they came over. Ultimately, Mascherano was injured. Tevez delivered. It took him a long time to score, but he he kept us up in the Premier League that season. Uh, Paolo Di Canio, when he joined, he was in a lot of trouble. He'd pushed a referee to the ground and been banned for some games. So there was a eight, little bit eight of, or nine games. Yeah, Sheffield United against Arsenal. Oh, that happened, did it? Right. Well, there was some controversy with that one, but. Uh, we knew that he was something special. You, you, we sensed that he was something special and he, he proved to be that. Uh, otherwise, though, Tim, I, I can't really off the top of my head think of someone. Most recently, I might say we got Jesse Lingard on loan in the January transfer window and he gave us a great boost. Jesse, if you're listening, we'll take you back. But you have to replicate the form you gave us two years ago. <laughs> yeah, I think that might have been a flash in the pan, a one-off. Um, what about heartbreak, Tom? What's the move which has broken your heart most? I was thinking about this before the episode, and I'm I'm not sure if it's Ashley Cole uh, from Arsenal to Chelsea, of course, major rivals. And I think it was the start of the decline from Arsenal from the very top uh, going down. Or Robin Van Persie, who was Arsenal captain at the time, to Manchester United. He refused to sign a, a, a long contract. And basically for the same reason, because he saw the direction Arsenal were going in. Um, is there a player who's left West Ham and really broken your heart? I have to say we had a series of it. We had such a fantastic young squad back about 20 years ago. And the first one to go was Rio Ferdinand. He went up to Leeds for £18 million. Uh, but we couldn't stop the tide, the flow of players going out. and, and Joe Coles, really the Frank broken. Lampards. Those were the two. where They went to Chelsea the same summer. Uh, and uh, I think even Glenn Johnson might have joined them at the same time. So it was losing our three best players all at the same time, or three of the best ones. That one hurt a lot. That broke my heart. Well, fantastic. Well, Tom, uh, I've got some homework for you on the next episode. Uh, we'll want, I want us to talk about the biggest flop our club has ever bought. A flop is a player you have great expectations for, but who doesn't perform. So that's a bit of thinking for you. Tom, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast as ever. Uh, just a little reminder to any of our listeners, if they want to join the conversation, find us on any of our social networks. Tom's been active again on TikTok. Leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you find us. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. And Tom, I'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening.